Christmas, you filthy animals. Look what you did, you little jerk. Oh, man, this is Kyle and Eric from the What the What Show. And we are so excited that you are joining us today because we, well, we're, I'm already, I'm ready to jump into jump the topic. Into we're talking about one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, Home Alone. Yes. And, I mean. Don't get it twisted. Don't get Not it twisted. Not number four. No. The number four shouldn't exist. Not number three. Number three should be under a different name because it was a pretty decent movie if it wasn't titled Home Alone 3. Home Alone 2. We'll get to that next year. But Home Alone. The original. The Home Alone. The original. And uh, super excited. Before we jump into that, I want to encourage you to find us on Apple, Spotify, yes. Google Play, or Podbean, wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate, review us. Five stars, you little jerks. Mm -hmm. um, that's all we require. Um, and hit us up on social media. Uh, we, hit, we didn't even plug social media in the last episode. No, but you all like hit it up really hardcore. You hit it up really time. hardcore. So uh, Facebook.com slash what the what media WTW underscore media Instagram at what the what media and uh, make sure you hit us up uh, let us know what's on your mind when we talk about home alone and um, I really I had a I had a good thought here and I'm, I've lost it let it out I'm, I'm trying to think of what it was oh I know what it was okay this is a warning okay spoiler warning spoiler warning we have been told by our good friend and our uh, second uh, uh, service praise team leader, Jenny Varnum, mm -hmm. that we have spoiled things for her in the past. To so, be fair, we haven't covered anything new. No. this is The most recent thing we may have covered is like maybe a, a TV episode from 15 years ago. We talked about the new Lion King briefly. Very briefly, without spoilers. We didn't spoil anything. We just said if we liked it or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, but she got mad about me spoiling like a Friends episode. Yeah, um, you can't get mad about that. And it's like, Friends has been off the air for 15 years, mm -hmm. okay? I remember watching the last episode of Friends in 2004 at Melissa and Ryan Fitzgerald's house, okay? That was in May of 2004. We're more than 15 and a half years removed from that. So I know sometimes you get into shows late, but if you haven't seen Home Alone, okay, if you don't know... Why, um, you know, Buzz wouldn't let Kevin stay in his room, you know, even <laughs> under the most direst of no, circumstances. Sorry. If you don't know uh, those circumstances where Buzz wouldn't even let Kevin stay in his room, then you probably need to go check out Home Alone. Please do. It's a classic. What's took you so long? First off, Casey Wright, if you haven't watched it yet, stop. Stop. And go press stop on your I player. I found out today that Casey Rye has not watched all of this. Go yet. watch Disney Plus because it's, on, it's the on Disney Plus, Plus streaming. Um, no commercials. None at all. Don't have to rewind your VHS. No, you Because it came don't. out in 1990. I mean, we're literally talking almost 30 years almost. later. Which is insane. Yes. This movie came out when I was four. I was three. You were about to turn four, like three months later. Yeah, but still. Three. Still. That's how old this movie is, and it still holds In up case today. Wright still hasn't so, watched. So that's your spoiler warning. I bet for Tim today. hasn't watched it either. Well, he's going to watch it at our, at our Christmas party, okay. which um, will have happened by the time this episode comes out. So we'll, maybe Tim has watched it so at this point. Maybe he has. This episode comes out on the 9th. We have our Christmas party on the 8th. We'll, we'll find out. So we'll find out. And if not, he, we're going to watch it. You know, uh, while we'll we sit, in our, we'll while, tape his while eyelids we, while we sit in our Christmas pajamas and eat our Christmas crawl cookies, I still have to get some. I Christmas do too. Pajamas. You didn't go Sunday? We didn't find any. I want a onesie with a butt flap. 
and I can't find it. Check Walmart. Well, I haven't. I haven't been to Walmart yet. At the <laughs> mall, there were no butt flaps to be found at the mall. That's a fun word to say in general. Try to use that in your conversation, especially during the holiday season. It's appropriate during the holiday season because usually butt flaps not a word you can necessarily say all the time. But it's you can say, really hey, I was checking to, to find – well, I was like, hey, I, f- I found these cool new pajamas with a butt flap. Like, when you say that, that's not as awkward. It's just like randomly just like, ha butt flap. Like, it's a little bit different. So Yeah, it is. I'll try to work that more into my conversation. I'm looking for pajamas that, like, if I were to be in a family photo where everyone, including mm-hmm. the dog and the baby, wears it, I would fit in. See, that's what we're looking for. That's what Erica and I are trying to do, our Whitley family photo with Grizzy uh, in onesies with butt flaps. Oh. Because <laughs> okay. I have a onesie. <laughs> It's a Ninja Turtle one that's cool and all, but there's no butt flap. And it's really weird when you got to go to the bathroom. You take all your clothes off. You do. It's weird. It is weird. I feel bad for you ladies that, like, wear rompers or whatever it is where you've got to, like, L- remove everything. Yeah, I don't know how the they bathroom. do it. You know, ladies, we don't salute you enough. So. Yes. Um, way, to, way to do you. Way, way, way to do you. Way yeah, to way do to great do things. Yeah. So that was your spoiler warning. We're diving in to Home Alone. Yep. Um, came out in 1990. I believe uh, it. Premiered first in Chicago. That makes um, sense. And then six days later, premiered uh, in the United States world or um, nationwide. <laughs> I say, first in Chicago and then in the U.S. Like, well, no, it was literally like the rest of the U.S. It was just, oh, just Chicago, then the rest of the U.S. Just um, made it sound like Chicago was like outside uh, in, of the U.S. In mid-November. And um, starring uh, Macaulay Culkin, mm-hmm. uh, you have John Hurd, mm-hmm. Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, mm-hmm. And Catherine O'Hara, is that her is that I think the actress's so. name? I'm doing this without reading it. Yep. Which John Candy. John Candy makes, a, like a, a giant makes a cameo. Um, and it, it's a really good movie. Should I give them the uh, the synopsis? You're a lot I've better given, at synopsis than I am. Since I've not, given I will literally them, take an hour to tell you about a movie. Since so. I've given them the spoiler warnings. So movie starts at this beautiful home in the suburbs of Chicago. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of kids walking around. A few adults walking around. There's a cop standing there. Um, you can tell like they're getting ready for some kind of trip or something. Uh, turns out this is the McAllister family. Um, they are going on a trip to Paris to visit one of their relatives. Uh, I believe they're uh, the main family's brother mm-hmm. um, who lives in France. Yep. Um, and you have the youngest child of um, of the McAllisters, um, Kevin. Played by Macaulay Culkin. Yep, he's not the youngest in the whole family, but for this main family, for his for actual, his, for his, his actual family. Um, family, not the extended family. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, he's the youngest. You know, he uh, he gets picked on by his older brothers, um, older sisters, cousins, everything. Everybody else. In the um, you know, he uh, does not want to sleep uh, with his cousin Fuller because he wets the bed. He does, and um, he, uh, he so he's just kind of getting. Pooped on a little bit, a little bit. I guess would be the way or, to or peed on or peed on. I mean, <laughs> would be the way to say it. And um, he ends up starting a little f- uh, fight with his brother Buzz, who ate all the cheese pizza. Uh, there's a big spill, um, and he gets sent up to his room uh, in the attic. You know, or a yep. different room. It was their know. attic looked pretty cool. It did. Look I don't know how many cool. stories are up. They're already up, and then they go three up stories. Again. Yeah. Three stories. So um, he has to sleep in the attic uh, overnight. There. Um, there's like a, a branch that hits a power line, knocks all their clocks out. Mm-hmm. They wake up, they overslept, they're rushing to the airport, and in the tickets, they gave, give out all the tickets, everyone gets a ticket. Mm-hmm. They count everyone, there's a neighbor kid who's in there, they count him as Kevin, they run off to the airport, they get on the airplane, the parents are in first class, the kids are in coach. Um, no one notices that they left Kevin 
home alone. Roll credits. In the attic. Roll it's credits. over. <laughs> so, House collapses because Kevin's by himself. The world just ends. So that's the beginning of the story. Kevin realizes he's home alone. He'd made a comment the night before, you know, um, I wish I never, you know, I don't want you know, y'all to be around for Christmas or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I made my family disappear. And um, he gets into some sh- shenanigans. He goes shenanigans. out. He goes out and buys groceries, and he shoplifts accidentally. Uh, all the while, there's these two robbers, the Wet Bandits. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are their names? What a catchy again? name! What are their names again? Merv, Marv, Marv, not Merv, Marv and Harry. Merv Mar- is our filter yes. uh, rating system at work. Marv and Harry, and they're casing out all the houses in this sub uh, subdivision or in this uh, suburb of Chicago. They're, um, the cop that we mentioned at the beginning of the movie was actually Harry in a cop, cop yes. uh, uniform. And he, he's going around polling everyone, finding out about their automatic timers and their mm-hmm. lights and see if they're going to be home for the holidays so they can go in and rob the place blind. Yep. Well, they attempt to go into Kevin's house. Kevin realizes it, turns all the lights on, mm-hmm. um, and they, that scares them off. And then they come back. They almost hit him. They follow him home. They realize, wait a minute. You know, there, there's no people here. The place was hopping last night. A good diversion by Kevin, by the For way. Sure. And they realize, wait, this kid's home alone. Okay, the whole while the parents realize you know, mm-hmm. th- they're missing Kevin. In Paris. Uh, in Paris. <laughs> Mom's trying to get back. She's doing everything she can. And it kind of climaxes to a uh, showdown on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. After getting some advice from Santa... And his scary next-door neighbor, who turns out is not a murderer. At least not that we know <laughs> not of. Not that we know of. Um, Kevin goes home. He sets up traps. He defends his house. He says, this is my house. I have to defend it. Yep. And he sets up all these awesome little traps for the robbers. He knows that they're coming. He overheard them saying they're coming back at 9 o'clock. So he's getting the house ready. Marvin Harry, they're getting foiled every step of the way. Yes. They're, uh, they're falling for all of... Uh, Kevin's traps. They should have probably died. We'll talk about that more in our fun facts and trivia. Um, they end up uh, catching Harry. They're really t- or, uh, catching Kevin. They're really ticked off. And then the next door neighbor saves them. And then Christmas morning, mom comes home. Mm-hmm. And then the family comes home, which that's a whole other subplot. Yeah. Um, and then uh, that's how kind of how the movie ends. Um, Buzz, Kevin's brother, wants to know what he did to his room. But. Um, just a really sweet ending. Um, like I said, it's classic. It's classic. I, mean, I just had an odd vision. How awesome would it be if they did a remake, but they combined it with Step Brothers? So you have... I, two, I don't follow. You have Will Ferrell, and what's the other guy's name? John uh, C. McGin- yeah. McKinley, McGinley. Them two, in a house by themselves where... It's Step Brothers too. No, John, John C. Riley. Yeah, Riley. Riley. Sorry, it's pretty McGinley much. Emily is um, Dr. Cox on yes. Scrubs. It's pretty much Step Brothers too, where now the parents are married, and then they're all going on a family trip. Somehow the parents like they don't really forget them, but maybe the kids do. Will Ferrell and John think that they're forgotten, and then all of a sudden their house is getting robbed, and those two try to defend it. Can you just imagine those two guys trying to defend their house from robbers? You know, I'd never thought I'd want to see that, but I... The more I, you think about it. I'd watch it. Because, I mean, they, they practiced karate in their bedroom. They did all sorts of things. So, can you imagine... It sounds like a really either bad or awesome SNL sketch rather than a movie. Okay, I would take that. I would just like to see it. 
Because, I mean, it's either that or worst case, you know, it finally ties into how these two guys grow up to be Ricky Bobby. And you yeah. know, how does that work out? How does that work yeah. out? So, um, what are your witness th- protection. Yeah. It could work out. That's where they go. They become NASCAR drivers at that Of point. course, of course. Um, you have to kind of excuse all of Ricky Bobby's backstory then. But Yeah, it was all a dream. He got hit over the head. Um, um, yeah. What are your thoughts on this movie? It's definitely in the top three of my favorite Christmas movies. Uh, it may be number one just because of the classicness of it, but I feel like the more I keep watching Christmas movies this season, I'm probably going to be like, oh, maybe that's my number one. Um, <coughs> excuse me, there is a definite number one in my, my mind. I won't bring that up right now, but uh, this reminds me of my childhood. Like I said, 1990, I was three years old, about to be four. Uh, <coughs> it's one of the first times I remember really watching Christmas movies with my family. Uh, I remember my dad a lot about this movie. Because my dad didn't really watch a lot of TV. He wasn't home. You know, you know, my dad was home. It don't make it sound like my dad was never home. But he did work a lot. Like, when he got home, he didn't like to sit around. You know, all he would, if he watched TV, it'd be like the news or maybe a sports game every once in a while were like westerns. But I remember when this, we would sit down as a family, not like every year on intentional, but just as it would come on, we happened to be watching it. And my dad would love this movie to death. He would laugh out loud, like so hard. He's like belly shaking, laughing, chuckling. And he's getting involved in it. Where it's like when the bad guys, something happens to them, my dad's like, you got that right, or he got you, or this, that. Like, my dad's so excited about this movie. So just, it was something as a child, just to see your dad get that excited about a movie um, was something just awesome for me. Uh, I'm trying to think about it. You know, even as a kid, you could relate to Kevin. You know, as a kid watching, you know, take it out of your mind of being an adult watching Kevin and how he acts. But as a kid thinking about how you could go against what your parents are saying, about how your parents don't understand you. They're always against you. They're always doing this, you know, because as a kid, you have this mindset rah, your parents rah, rah. are always wrong. Uh, so just even imagine having the house all to yourself where you could do anything you wanted to and everything else. And even like setting up traps where you would want to watch this. I was talking to Roy Jr. today. He hasn't shown Luke uh, that movie yet. He was talking about how Luke wanted to start it last night, and Roy Jr. was tired. They didn't get a chance to watch it. And he was like, I think we may at some point. I was like, but can you just imagine like how excited he's going to be about trying to set some booby traps whenever he sees yes. this? Because Luke's like five now, I think. Uh, but just to imagine how exciting that was, you know, for him. But especially us as kids, you know, I wasn't as creative of setting booby traps. I can imagine just trying to leave like a little lasso, or, like a rope, you know, with a circle tied in the end of it, waiting for somebody to step into it. <laughs> but then nothing happening, just just be even waiting for somebody to do it. Uh, but just stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. The soundtrack in this movie is amazing. John Williams does an amazing job. I mean, I didn't realize it was John Williams. I found that today. <laughs> I mean, it was like, wow, John Williams did a great job. But who are we to doubt John Williams? For sure. He's Star Wars, anybody? I mean, he's done nearly he's everything done you care so about. So many good things. I mean, uh, but just because there's a lot of awesome, like, classic Christmas songs in the movie that really makes it too. But then there's just the fact of all just the little songs the whole movie starts off with a john williams just like the score of happening um and just all the little like little between scenes and background music just all the little parts of the score are just amazing in this movie white christmas gets another shout out in this movie I believe. yeah it does uh i don't know and then the only other thing i really had kind of uh as a playback is i went back and watched the trailer for this movie today and they changed some things the trailer you can tell is kind of like a rough it was the first trailer ever for it you can tell it started you know maybe they weren't quite done with production yet, but they kind of added in some things. Uh, I, f- I know there's like a, a speakover part where they're talking about how the wet bandits are on the news and the cops are out looking for them. You know, that really doesn't play out in the movie so much. Uh, but you remember there's a scene, and I don't mean to steal it if it's the best scene for you, but 
Kevin's talking to, he's at the grocery store buying his groceries, and he's checking out talking to the lady. Yes. In the trailer, the lady's there, but it's almost like a store manager behind her, and he's asking all the questions. Like, so the store manager's asking, and Kevin's responding back to the store manager. With all the same responses, he ends up talking to the store You're clerk. You're a stranger. Yes. Like, all that happens. Uh, but yeah, in the trailer, he's talking to some guy, like, almost like in a sweater vest or something, like, more of a managerial, like, outfit. Uh, but when the movie finally came out, they put it just him talking to the clerk, which I honestly think played out a lot better seeing both. He's talking just to, like, the, the lady checking, ringing him out. Um, I don't know. She does a better job, but right. it's an amazing movie. It's definitely a staple for our family. It's one of the ones we wait, you know, as Christmas starts coming in, we're like, all right, we're watching this. Erica and I already watched, like, a week ago. We've probably watched it, you know, we'll watch it probably a handful more times throughout, you know, the holiday season. Uh, but yeah, it's just one of my all-time favorites. Uh, you got anything else on you would like to say? Um, just one of my all-time favorites, and uh, I'm really excited we're talking about it. This was definitely a no-brainer for us to talk about. For sure. So, Kyle? Yes. This is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. And I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike, if it costs me everything I own, if I have to sell my soul to the devil himself. We are going to talk about our best scenes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll talk about it, but there's no reason to sell soul to the devil. We can just, we can talk about it. Oh, we're good. We can get back in my polka van and we'll, just, we'll figure it out. We're oh, good, because I really didn't want to sell my soul to the devil. So right. What, what, what are some of your best scenes in this movie? I've got a lot, but um, we'll try to narrow it down. I may go back and forth through this that way. It's not me just stealing all of them and then you'd be like, well, great, I have here this one. You picked the whole movie. I did. <laughs> Let me start by telling you, cue John Williams' music. It's zoning in on the house. da 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 <laughs> No, uh, the first thing that popped out in my mind is the shaving scene. Uh, There's a scene where Kevin's kind of, I guess, used to the fact he's by himself in this house now. Uh, He's shaving. He's, you know, putting on some deodorant and, you know, everything else. He puts on aftershave and, like, smashes his face with his hands and screams, ah! I remember doing this so much as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a staple for the movie. I don't you know, it probably wasn't intended to be so much for the movie. But, like, in the ads and everything else, I remember when Home Alone 2 came out, there was an advertisement with the Statue of Liberty in it because he's in, you know, New York City in the second one. And literally the Statue of Liberty is doing that same face. Like it got known, like toys were sold for that. Merchandise is sold with that on it uh, coming out later. But I remember, you know, being a kid walking around and you slapping your face, you know, on both sides and just screaming, ah, at the top of your you know, lungs. Uh, I remember reenacting it with like a fake razor and doing it at my house. Doing you know, that that's a, um, like a recreation of the famous uh, painting in, from 1893 by Edvard Munch, mm. The Scream. The Scream. So I used to have a version of that in my apartment. Yeah. So Not nice the real nice, one, nice, nice little Todd. I don't, I don't know if that was intentional, but uh, people have made the connection. So. It makes sense. How about you? What's a, what's a favorite? Um, first favorite scene is when he, um, when he realizes, like, you know, he's going to have cops coming by, or not cops, um, but the uh, the wet bandits the first mm-hmm. time, and he sets up the scene where, you know, he's, you know, doing the little hand mov- movements, mm-hmm. and all the cardboard cutouts of Michael Jordan's going around, and mm-hmm. um, that's just a fun scene for me. Um, you know, just the, the idea that he's already thinking of how to spoil these guys from coming into his house, and he started out with something simple like that. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was, you know, really creative and genius. It gives you a glimpse into what's to come mm-hmm. where it's, you know, well, he came up with this idea by himself. It's not, uh, you know, unbelievable that he could come up with something even more ingenious sure. later. It in slowly movie. builds up. It, it builds into his character a little bit. I think it's a great scene. Something that I saw, like, he made a quick note of it on YouTube today watching something, but it's cool how they did that scene because they included items that you've already seen elsewhere. 
that Michael Jordan's like you know stand up or whatever was actually on the back of Buzz's door, like in his bedroom earlier in the movie. So it's cool to see it's not just some random junk that all of a sudden for this one scene they threw in there to make sense or whatever. Like they actually took items that were already shown in there to make it more realistic. Um, so that was something for me. Another favorite for me is sledding down the stairs. There's that one moment where he gets the sled set up, opens his front door, and decides to sled down the stairs and out the front door. Uh, for me, that's something I always remember. Uh, growing up, the first house we lived in up until I was about three or four, it was just a one-bedroom or one two-bedroom house. It was really small. But we moved into a two-story house, and that was always the funnest thing for me. It was like just sliding on your butt down the stairs. Like, and I wish I could have reenacted. You know, if, if we would have had a straight shot, I promise you I would have probably done what Kevin tried to do. I probably would have hit a wall because that was straight ahead, you know, and got hurt. But our stairs went down a flight, turned like 90 degrees, and then went down another flight. But I just remember that always being something fun to do, like either sliding down on a sleeping bag or doing something like that. Just the funness of taking a sled and sliding down your stairs and out the front door and launching out. And it's not like he takes a sled anywhere else after that. It was just for the fact of having fun and doing it. The um, the conversation between Old Man Marley mm-hmm. and Kevin in the church, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's just a sweet conversation. Um, you see Old Man Marley early in the movie. Um, he's shoveling snow on the sidewalk, and Buzz is telling all these horror stories about him. And you know, here's the legend. You know, he puts the bodies in the uh, mm-hmm. in his trash can, and the salt dissolves them into yep. zombies or mummies or whatever. And and uh, you you see him a few times in the movie. And Kevin's always super scared because of the story. And then he's like, hey. You know, there's a lot of people saying some bad things about me. None of it's true. Mm-hmm. You can say hello. You don't have to be afraid. Sure. And then them talking about their families. And Kevin being able to give advice to old man Marley, who's had a falling out with his son. Mm-hmm. And the only re- way he gets to see his grandchildren is when he comes to church to watch them sing. Um, you know, it's uh, – and Kevin, you know, talking about, hey, go for it. But what if he won't talk to me? Well, at least then you'll know. Mm-hmm. It's good advice for me. <laughs> um, it's just good for all of and us. just in general. Um, well, I like that because it shows the side of Kevin that you don't see throughout most of the movie. Like because as an adult, going back and watching it, you see some stuff where you're like, Kevin is a jerk. <laughs> like sometimes and it really is, but it gives you those moments like that that opens it up and it's like, okay, no, he's actually a really loving kid as well. Like he's just kind of got some sides all around him. Just you know, a, a kid that you know does whatever. Like all over, you don't get a bad vibe from Kevin, but just how he talks back to his mom is probably yeah, not definitely. appropriate. Yeah. Uh, The other one that I saw, well, first off, you're talking about how they are in the church and he's talking to the neighbor. Yes. Can we take a second and talk about how amazing that kid choir is in the background? Oh, yeah, they're awesome. Holy crap. They're so good. Because John Williams' music displaying and has them in the background was like, I mean, it was Those kids are singing in the background, supposedly, like. And his granddaughter could hit a hit that high note. I mean, yes, his granddaughter was a phenomenal singer, and he probably should get to know her before she gets famous and forgets yeah, all about. It, you know, as old man, he, she's around your age. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, go ahead, Kevin. I, so, I, I like that reference. She's around your age. You should know her. You should know her. <laughs> uh, that uh, one more. Well, it's a roundabout. Joe Pesci scenes in this movie make it for me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, because you get that sense of. He's never really been in like a family movie, at least not one like to this capacity. We'll talk about this in our fun facts a little bit. Yeah, but you take him. You know, the last thing you know, I always compare it to like Goodfellas. You take how like crazy that dude is in Goodfellas, and he's just a slightly toned down version in this movie, right? Where it's more so he's still the same type of guy. He just washes his mouth a little bit better, like I mean, bit. just slightly. <laughs> just, but I mean, just slightly. Just all of his <laughs> his scenes, like the other Daniel, uh, what's his Daniel last? Stern. Stern. Like, he's good, too. Don't get me wrong. They both pair off really well together. 
But just Joe Pesci, just his reaction to things, his voice to things, just what he does. Like, I don't know. He's just, he makes all the scenes for me. Like, there's not a scene he's in that I don't enjoy. Um, My last one is obviously, um, it's the battle plan, basically, where Kevin, the montage of Kevin setting everything up and then him besting, you know, being in the right place, besting the wet bandits. Mm -hmm. Um, That that whole scene towards the end of the movie is iconic and fun to watch. Still, 30 years later, fun to watch. Do you have anything else? That was it. Well, Kyle, you're you're not at all worried that something might happen? No, for three reasons. A, I'm not that lucky. Two, we have smoke detectors. And D, we record on the most boring street in the whole United States of America, where nothing even remotely quotable will ever happen, period. Well, luckily for us, that's not the case with this movie. So let's dive into the vast sea of quotes, and let's pick out our favorite ones. You go Once again, let's just start quoting the entire movie again because <laughs> there's that many lines. Uh, I'm going to throw two in there together because they're similar lines. Uh, I've already said it once so far on this podcast, but his uncle says, look what you did, you little jerk. Yeah. Uh, that and By then, the way, bad look for, our, you know, I'm not even calling him our guy, just Uncle Frank. Yeah, he's the, not my guy. The real villain of this movie. Yes. Of all the movies, Uncle Frank, I don't even think he's in the third or fourth movie, but he's the reason those happen. He was in an episode of Law & Order SVU, I think, in the second season. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, there's Uncle Frank. I hope he's the bad guy. And yes. spoiler, he he's was. He's the bad guy. <laughs> uh, there and there's another spot where Harry's talking to uh, Marv. And I, I try my best to remember if this is the second movie or the first movie. I think it's the first movie. But he does something where he like hits him. He's like, "You jerk!" and like yeah. hits him. Uh, <laughs> so like the fact that the word "jerk" is used so strongly, like I love it because growing up I wasn't a kid that ever really cussed much. I just don't have. It's just not me. Like you know, just use profanity is just not my thing. Uh, but "jerk" has been like my go-to word, mm-hmm. where it's fun to say "jerk," and I don't know if I got it from this movie as a kid, but just the fact of like the way they pronounce the "jerk," you jerk, so much in this movie. Uh, because even Kevin has like a little bit of a flashback, like seeing the different characters around his head saying things. The guy says it again, but says it differently, where differently. he reenacted it. Look what you You're did, a little, you jerk. little jerk. So, like, I don't know. I just love the fact of the word jerk. I yes. think that's just is built into my language from here forward. Uh, I just love to say it and pronounce it and scream it. So, well, one of my favorite uh, exchanges: uh, the wet bandits split up to try to enter the house in the, mm-hmm. the in the last scene. They finally meet up. And it's like, Marv, Harry. And then I'm going to censor myself a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Why the heck do you take your shoes off? <laughs> Why the heck are you dressed like a chicken? Yes. <laughs> and then the line following that one, mm-hmm. immediately following that one, you guys give up or you're thirsty for more. And that was improvised. Really? By Macaulay Culkin. That's awesome. That was not in the original Child strip. genius. Right there, Child ladies genius. and uh, It's fun, too, because like now I have, you know, a nephew that's Luke's, you know, we talked about Luke last episode. He's around five or so. Uh, but my cousins or my nephew's the same way. I can totally see my, my little nephew saying very similar things. Like, you know, you give up or you're thirsty for more. And then he comes and like hits me with a sword or whatever. Like I totally just see that with him. Uh, but another very quotable line is guys, I'm eating junk food and watching rubbish. You better come better out and come stop, stop me. Stop me. <laughs> uh, and we were talking about Erica and I were watching the other week and just his, his ice cream bowl was super sloppy, but it looks good. Like, it's marshmallows and all sorts of junk just piled and piled and piled on. And he's got some giant, like, corn chips or whatever off to the side, too. But, um, yeah, what you got next? You're what the French call les incompetents. <laughs> 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 I got I to say, I, I had no idea what that meant as a kid. 
Um, it made me want to learn French. <laughs> I, mean, I imagine it means you're incompetent. Yeah, you're incompetent. I know that now. Nice. But, um, my Spanish paid off. Yes. Uh, we already quoted it, but this is my house. I have to defend it. Yes, definitely. Um, Fuller, go easy on the Pepsi. And yes. kids just drinking a whole... And then smiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I honestly never caught this one until I was reading up some today. But it's blessed. It's when Kevin's about to get... Uh, I'm stealing it from you. I love this reaction. Ah. It's like I th- flip the table over. Uh, Kevin is prepared a microwavable uh, macaroni dinner. He's getting prepared. He's already done his whole game plan. He's about to eat before the villain or the burglars show up. And he says a little blessing. He says, bless this highly nutritious microwavable macaroni and cheese dinner and the people who sold it to me on sale. Amen. I'm going to have to come up with another segue. <laughs> Sorry. It was Jerk. just too good not to you. Jerk. <laughs> I knew that I was running the risk of having a question. I just didn't think you'd steal that one. <laughs> it was too good not to. Honestly, just because of the fact that he pray, like he's praying for the people who sold it to him on sale, like that. Yeah, yeah, and for the people who put it on sale. Honestly, the macaroni looked amazing, and as me as a, how old's Kevin supposed to be at this movie? Eight, eight years like old eight, in this movie. Yeah. I don't think I could do macaroni and cheese at eight years old. I couldn't. I mean, I, I did barely do it at thirty-three. I mean, <laughs> I guess I, mean, I technically did like, you know, Chef Boyardee, so maybe I could have, but I don't know. You got anything else? I got a few more. Uh, you can mess with a lot of things, but you can't mess with kids on Christmas. Yep. So that's where he's deciding he's got to defend it. Um, he was talking where he's about to get in trouble and get sent up, and he's like, I hope I never see you jerks again. <laughs> Another word, jerks. Yep. Uh, Erica and I, we were watching that. Erica, my wife, we were watching this the other day, and she said, if I ever talked like he did, I wouldn't have any teeth left. So my mom would have snacked them all Ab- out of my head. Absolutely. Uh, just because – there is that as an adult now watching about in this movie. It's like that kid needs to shut his mouth. Like he talks so bad to his parents in this movie, but then you still love him like throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. I say that because once again, the office people at my work randomly quote that buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Uh, keep the change. You filthy animal. Yeah. The, the whole exchange in um, the, not even a real movie. I, what was, mm-hmm. uh, it was, um, a- Angels with filthy souls, or something like yep. that. Um, that whole exchange is iconic and quotable. It is that entire. That was another scene. Was like him with the pizza guy and yeah. the other stuff. Yeah, um, I think we're being scanned by a kindergartner. Mm-hmm. I got two more. One we've already quoted. The ah, <laughs> and then Kevin. <laughs> yeah, so in the middle of the <laughs> the plane, it's like you, you're about. 12 hours too late there. Yes. So. And sorry for any of those that, like, you finally heard us really good finally on your Finally heard us good on your radio. After, like, months of being like, I better turn my volume all the way up because these guys haven't bought that extra boost controller yet. Mm-hmm. Now I finally hear them, but it scared the crap because my volume was at max. <laughs> so sorry for that. Well, uh, what's, what we got next? I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. Okay. Kyle, I'm going to give you, to the count of ten, to get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my podcast before I pump your guts full of lead. Now, just like Johnny, we're going to give you, the listeners, to the count of 10. That is 10 of our favorite insights and observations from Home Alone. That five each. Mm-hmm. Five each. You go first. I got to scan the list real quick. Um, it's fun facts. Is I'm going to throw this in and combine it like two little things together because it has to do together. Most of the film was filmed in Chicago, where yes. it's actually, you know, like you talked so about earlier, how it was released. Suburbs of Chicago. Uh, there's that beautiful house that you see. The house actually exists. Uh, the scenes on, like, the stairs, the little foyer area, and the kitchen actually were filmed inside that house. 
Uh, I feel like there's a when they're on the plane, that was filmed in like a basketball court at a local school, like with those giant luxury seats where she realizes that they've left Kevin. And then the one, excuse me, at the end of the movie where he's going through the neighbor's house through like where it's the flooded house from the wet bandits. That's actually in a swimming pool at that same local oh, wow. uh, high school or whatever school it was. They just moved stuff into the swimming pool and filmed in there. Wow. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff the same way that church, this big scene in there. It's just a few blocks away from that house actually in Chicago. And I want to say the owners sold it in the past handful of years for like $1.5 million or They're something. asking for 2.7, I think. Yeah, <laughs> so... But um, it's just cool to see that because a lot of – I mean, sure, there was some stuff done on sound stages, but it was cool to see that the house was actually used and these iconic things, and it actually all was there in Chicago. Wow. Number two, in order to get the most authentic performance possible, Joe Pesci did his best to avoid Macaulay Culkin on set so the young actor would be indeed be afraid of him, and no one would blame the young actor for being a bit petrified as he still bears a physical scar from one accidental altercation. In the first Home Alone, they hung me up on a coat hook, and Pesci says, I'm going to bite all your fingers off one at a time, Culkin recalled to Rule 42. And during one of the rehearsals, he bit me, and it broke the skin. Now, considering that Pesci is best known for playing the heavy in movies like Raging Bull, Goodfellas, and Casino, um, I'm sure that could be a little bit terrifying for a a young actor, the, the method acting there. Um, it's understandable that he wasn't quite used to the whole family-friendly atmosphere as well. Um, and he dropped a few F-bombs as a result of that. The director, Chris Columbus, tried to curb Pesci's four-letter word tendency by suggesting that he use the word fridge, fridge. instead. Number three. Uh, Mc- there is also another McCulkin in this movie. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin, not McCulkin, but Culkin. Yeah. Uh, Macaulay's younger brother, Kieran, actually played Kevin's bedwetting cousin, Fuller. So the little kid that you see that's drinking all the Pepsi and everything else and threatens you know, to pee on Kevin in his sleep is actually Macaulay Culkin. He's Culkin's using it as a weapon. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's Macaulay Culkin's little brother in real life. So you actually knowing that now and going back and watching it, you really see a strong resemblance between the two of them. Um, and he actually went on to star on other things, nothing like giant, but still like Slaughterhouse uh, Rules. I yeah. think uh, he was in Scream Four. He, yeah. he was in some pretty big. That's what I mean. Like he was in yeah. some things, nothing that's like you know giant blockbuster, but right. still like he didn't. He kept going. Uh, number four, uh, casting Macaulay Culkin taught Chris Columbus, the director, a very important lesson. Since Home Alone, Columbus, who also wrote the scripts for Gremlins and The Goonies, has gone on to become one of Hollywood's premier family-friendly movie makers, as the director of Home Alone Two. Mrs. Doubtfire, and the first two movies in the Harry Potter franchise. But one lesson he learned from Home Alone is that when you agree to work with a kid actor, you're also agreeing to work with his or her family. Uh, I was much younger, and I was really too naive to think about the family environment as well, Columbus told The Guardian in 2013. We didn't know that much about the family at the beginning. As we were shooting, we learned a little more. The stories are hair-raising. I was casting a kid who truly had a troubled family life. In 1995, Culkin's parents, who were never married, engaged in a very public and nasty legal battle over his fortune. Yep. I remember that because that's what I remember finding out about, like, a child emancipating himself. Mm-hmm. Like, and I didn't know what that meant, but it was just like, God, go and gets all of his money. Like, he's an adult now. But, like, you know, as a young kid, that's all I understood. Uh, but moving forward, we're at number five. five. Number five. Number five. Uh, the picture of Buzz's girlfriend, whenever Kevin's going through it, opens it out and says, Buzz, your girlfriend, woof. Uh, that actually is a boy. And it's actually director Christopher Columbus's son, or Chris Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had his son dress up as a, a girl and had her his picture put in there. 
because he felt really bad for casting a girl to turn around and make fun of her for her looks, and he just didn't want to put that type of thing on somebody. I mean, I can imagine too. You're hiring an actress to just just to make fun of what she looks, especially like. a, a young girl. So. so it was cool that he did that. Like, even yeah, back it was cool that he would do that. But I found out today it was a son. I'd heard a while back it was a boy. Yeah, but I never knew it was a son until today. Well, speaking of things that I learned about today, number six. Um, when you see Macaulay Culkin or Kevin, um, his character Kevin, climbing up on baseboards or zip lining through the backyard, well, he had a stunt double. He did. Macaulay Culkin's stunt double was a 30-year-old man named Larry Nicholas. He's the person you see zip lining through the treehouse and falling off of Buzz's shelves. It's funny because if you go back and watch if the zip line, it at a certain you moment, totally you can see, it. see it's a man. Yeah, a very I mean, short, a very short man, but a man. The cool thing is, like, it's never so obvious that before you it messed it up for you, but now knowing that, you can totally spot that that's a man like riding down on the zip line. Uh, but yeah, uh, number seven, uh, there's that scene where uh, Kevin almost gets run over by the van or in a van. Yes, van. I saw this today. Yes, that actual scene was filmed in reverse because if you're watching the movie, that van comes right up to Kevin's face, like within centimeters, and almost hits him. Well, it turns out they start. The van right there, centimeters from his face, with him making that screaming face. They put it in reverse and have some extra stunt people, or like not stunt, but uh, cast or crew or whatever, shaking the van to make it look like they slammed on the brakes when they're about to hit him in the face. But that whole scene was actually shot in reverse so that they could get within centimeters of Kevin's face and make it look like they actually got hit. Wow. Number eight. Uh, and I first heard about this one by reading Mick Foley's second autobiography um, when he was comparing the dangers uh, in wrestling to some of the acts you see in modern film and television. Um, he took the injuries sustained in this movie mm -hmm. um, as a comparison to some of the injuries he had sustained in his own career oh, wow. to compare which one was more dangerous to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, so BB gun shots to the forehead and groin, a steaming hot iron and a can of paint to the face, a flaming blowtorch to the scalp. The wet bandits endure an awful lot of violence at the hands of a single eight-year-old, so much that... Neither one of them should have been walking, let alone conscious, by the end of the night. In 2012, Dr. Ryan St. Clair diagnosed the likely outcome of their injuries for the week. While a read-through of that entire article is well worth your time, here are a few highlights. Okay. That iron should have caused a blowout fracture leading to serious disfigurement and debilitating double vision if not repaired properly. And the blowtorch? According to Dr. St. Clair, the skin and bone tissue on Harry's skull would have been so damaged and rotted that his skull bone is essentially dying and will re likely require a transplant. I didn't know you could get a replacement skull cap. <laughs> I didn't either. Um, so to compare, um, to compare using Mick Foley's uh, mm -hmm. analogy here, Joe Pesci and Daniel Cern, Marvin Harry, they could have made tons of money in wrestling and not even been as hurt as they were in this That's film. True. They are the real baddest SOBs in, in sports <laughs> entertainment. Number nine. Number nine. We'll go and explain that a little bit more in detail of the couple things you just talked about. Uh, for the flamethrower scene where Joe Pesci's head, he walks in and gets hit in the head with a flamethrower. We're not hitting the head, burned his head off. Uh, they actually used a mannequin's head to actually get burned, and they superimposed his face onto it using a mirror inside the camera. Going back and watching this, like it looks like it's Joe Pesci. Like for the longest time, even now, like going back and watching, I'm still not quite convinced that that's not Joe Pesci, but just some special like toboggan on his head. But they did it in such an awesome way, especially for a 1990 movie. How realistic Re that looks! Really well done. Uh, there's also Daniel Stern. Whenever he's outside walking around in the snow, he actually has like some rubber feet that look like feet that yeah. he's wearing. 
Um, so he, that he's it, not getting frostbite by walking around in the actual snow actual in his snow. feet. Uh, but there is a scene where right after that, he breaks in through the window, and there's the Christmas ornaments on the floor, which he steps on with his bare feet and you know falls to the floor in such agony and pain. He actually did step on that with his real feet because he didn't want it to look fake. But uh, thankfully, he used like, candy glass or whatever, so it did not burst and like shatter as much as other glass would have into his feet. It still hurts, I bet. I would imagine it would. Um, but I even went back today because I read one thing that was talking about uh, a fact of actually he was wearing those rubber shoes when he stepped on it. But no, you go back and look. That's his real feet. Like the toes curl, like things move. It's not a boot. Yeah. Uh, and the only other thing I really have with that was um, when he stepped on a nail, the nail actually he did with his bare foot step on a nail, but the nail was rubber. So it wasn't his actual rubber foot. But either way, like it all happened. It was awesome. Uh, the stunts actually did happen in similar ways, but it's cool to see the behind the scenes of that. Number 10, what's your big one of? Number 10, of all the civilian-generated ideas about what really happened in famous films and TV shows, relatively few of them hit the perfect pitch of wackiness, nostalgia, and evidence-backed accuracy as the theory that Kevin McAllister from Home Alone grew up to become Jigsaw, a.k.a. John Kramer, from the Saul horror movies. This viral theory that was set forth in 2014 by... One of my favorite podcasters on the Ringer Network, Jason Concepcion. What a great website. Mm-hmm. Um, he points out a number of connections between Kevin and Jigsaw that once you're made aware of them are awfully difficult to unknow. They have comparable appearances, blonde hair, blue eyes, similar jawlines. They share a penchant for Rube Goldbergian Roadrunner versus Coyote devices. The crew traps that Kevin sets for the Wet Bandits and Home Alone are eerily similar to the torture contraptions Jigsaw uses throughout the Saw series. And then there's the shared fixation with basements. Kevin hallucinates in the lower reaches of his family's home, mistaking a furnace for a monster, and obviously scarring childhood fear that could help explain the design and location of some of Jigsaw's that could also help explain... uh, 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 I'm getting tied up here. Of some of Jigsaw's torture. The last connection is made all the more terrifying by the fact that a Jigsaw-like clown mask appears in the basement of Kevin's family home as well. It's very creepy. It is really creepy. It's cool. I, I always love things like this because there's a part of you that starts to believing it. The more you read into it, you're like, it's just got to be real. It just lines up. It's awesome, like how this works. And like, obviously, it's not. But like, there's part of you that starts believing it because it seems so real and lines up in such a way. There's uh, uh, there's other rumors out there that uh, Uncle Frank was the you know the guy who hired it. You know, sure. Like he was the r- real person responsible. He throat. You know, he makes sure that Kevin's pizza gets eaten, and mm-hmm. he kind of orchestrated all the events and. You see that Uncle Frank's not a good guy because he steals the silverware on the plane. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's clearly, you know, going on his brother's dime and mm-hmm. kind of a cheapskate. Um, there's a fun theory about that, so look at that one up, too. But both of these theories are really interesting. So For sure. Um, ha- has this podcast been approved by the American Dental Association? Th- that's an unanswered question. So if not, we should delve into other unanswered questions. Unanswered questions. I really don't have a ton. Uh, the big one that I see often, most about this movie, is what in the world does Kevin's dad do for he's a living? He's in the mob, I'm pretty sure. There's a theory about him being in the mob. Like There's a whole full-blown theory about that as well. But there's parts of it where I feel like he's getting they're getting flown out to Paris by, is it the family in Paris? I always get confused by that. Like, is it Kevin's dad that is paying for the entire family to go to Paris, or is it the family in Paris that's paying for them to go? To see them in Paris. Okay. I get confused. I don't remember like which it is. Yeah. But I, I think most of the time it's framed as Kevin's dad paid for absolutely everything 
including airfare, you know, for all the family, but plus especially first class for all the adults. Like, I don't know. What in the world does Kevin's dad do? Especially that giant house. It makes sense. $1.5 million. It's a legitimate question. Um, I have a few, uh, I guess these are like some smaller questions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, obviously the first one, how could his mother forget about him and not realize? And I know like it's more, I feel like the second movie is more believable in a sense because he gets set up, at, uh, split up at the airport. He does. Uh, I did watch the thing today that talked about a little bit more uh, about how they went out of their way to kind of set up things to make it a little bit more realistic. Um, first, he's upstairs in the other thing. Second, there are, of course, all the alarms, you know, don't go off. Do you have the girl that counts all the kids outside who's her responsibility to be counting? By the way, Heather, you did a poor job, okay? But to be fair. Bad she, look for our girl Heather, okay? She did count a kid that looked very similar from the backside. Who was that kid? I know he was a he was neighbor, a neighbor. Yeah. but why is he going through everyone's stuff? He's a nosy neighbor. I mean, they exist, but uh, that happened. Um, something that really lines up that honestly, they don't overemphasize it, but you do notice it if you slow it down or see things now. Kevin's plane ticket got thrown away. It did get thrown away. So it, it would make sense why um, like they didn't have an extra ticket laying around. Yeah, it's like whenever they got there to the you know, the board the plane that you know, that's why they didn't catch it then. Honestly, they get to there, they're running through it. And plus it would be different if it was just like Kevin's parents, Kevin and his few siblings. If you're talking about it, like ten to fifteen people, I think, or sixty somewhere in there, it's a giant amount of people. You're all running through it. There's so many kids, a lot of them are all the same size, height. Um, but yeah, whenever Buzz and Kevin are fighting in the kitchen over the cheese pizza and everything else, it shows a quick glimpse of his dad cleaning up the countertops um, from the milk that got spilled. And you see a plane ticket that even has Kevin's name written on top of Freeze it. Freeze frame and zoom in. Yeah, and it gets Kevin. thrown into the trash. They even emphasize it slightly by showing a shot of the trash can where you can see Kevin's name at right before something else goes over top of it. So they do go out of their way at least to kind of... A kinda, little bit, but still, you know, mothers... They don't forget their kids. I'm sorry. I mean, at least the good you shouldn't, ones. Shouldn't, but um. So you know, like she said in the movie, I'm a bad mother. Yeah, you are just a little bit. <laughs> that makes um, sense. That mac and cheese dinner we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. it looked delicious. It did. Did he ever eat it? He didn't. Did he? He never got a chance to come back. I'm sure it was probably cold later. I don't know because well, he may have because honestly, there's part of me that's like, okay, well the cops showed up and took care of everything, but no, like Kevin wakes up the next day back in the house, like. That yeah. neighbor that we think is a good guy let Kevin go back into an empty house. The co- yeah, exactly. By I mean, himself. The cops again. came and arrested the guys. Kevin was nowhere to be found, p- but Marley knew he was there by himself. Yeah, Marley <laughs> saw him. He's the one that helped him out of the, off mean, the, the door. Bad look for Marley. Uh, I did have one. Uh, it gets brought up often of why didn't Kevin just call the police? Why didn't he go tell somebody his you know home alone? But you've got to remember, Kevin doesn't realize his family accidentally left him. Kevin thinks that he went to bed wishing his family would vanish and woke up and they vanished. Now, as an eight-year-old kid, that's highly believable. Um, you probably wouldn't call the cops because you think that you've caused your family to disappear. Right. If you call the cops, that means that you may get in trouble, uh, or even worse. Plus, it's just that weirdness of it's exciting for Kevin for a good part of the movie that he's home alone by himself, thinking he's all by himself for the rest of the year or for his life. But uh, that's where it's believable for me. Like, you can overthink it a little bit and be like, well, if he just told the cops, they could have figured it out. But it's like, you know, and even when the cops show up at the door, he's scared because, honestly, I was a kid. Even as an adult, somebody comes to knock on my door. I don't know who they are. Half the time, I don't answer the door. I'm a little bit better sense. right now. Yeah. I live in the country, so if you show up my door now, there's... You better have a reason, yeah. Yeah, but growing up in town, especially, like, Kevin's age, I remember being home at summer, and somebody comes to the door, and I'd, like, hit the deck, or I'd, like, go find a different window where they couldn't see me to look out to see who in the world standing outside my door right now. Yeah. 
So I can understand hiding under your parents' bed, Makes you know, sense. not answering it. My, some of my questions here. What was so valuable in that house that the burglars wouldn't give up? Because, to be honest, if I was a burglar, if I was one of the wet bandits or the sticky bandits, as we mentioned in the second movie, mm-hmm. I'd have given up the minute a nail went in my foot or a blowtorch got my hair. Why that. didn't they give up? Was it more of about pride? I mean, at that point, well, I'm not going to let a kid chase it. No, at that point, he's setting you on fire. Go home. Go to another like, house. <laughs> you're talking about Joe Pesci, though. And I feel like the dude just got his head burned off. He's not concerned about robbing anymore. He wants the results of getting that kid and killing him now. At that point, I don't think he even cares about stealing anything else out of the rest of the house. Their goal by the end of the movie is to get the kid and give him all the payback. I'm just saying, if, I, if I'm stepping on nails and I'm getting my uh, hair lit on fire, I don't have any hair, but if my head got torched by a blowtorch, I don't care what I'm feeling. I'm not coming back in that house. Well, you're a smart, reasonable okay. person. Um, Kevin called the cops relatively early as to when they actually arrived. What took them so long? <laughs> he calls them, and he has he has um, time to uh, escape uh, by putting a spider on Marv's face, go out the window, zip line across, go to the other house, get caught by them, hung up on the door, and then Marley hits them with the hammer. All that happens. How far are the cops away at that point? We should look it up. I mean, because we know that the church is only a few blocks, so to be sure, the police officer is not too far from them. But that's movie life for you. And then my last one, we didn't really mention John Candy. Actually, I have two. I have two more sure. now. Um, we did mention John Candy has a cameo at the beginning. Um, who in the heck are those people? Again, I know they're a polka band, but why would you get in a moving truck with them only to arrive one minute before the rest of your family? I mean, th- that is the thing that would frustrate me the most is like, wait a minute, I gave up my ring. I gave up all this money. I gave up my first class tickets, blah, blah, blah. By the way... Irene and what was uh, and Ed, mm-hmm. the old couple, they're the worst people in this movie. Forget Uncle Frank. They're, they're <laughs> literally ripping off a mother who's trying to get home to her son, her eight-year-old son, mm-hmm. who has been left there by himself. She's trying to get home, and this old woman's ripping her off. Hey. Like, hey, what else you got? You got the earring? Uh, you like the earrings? Mm-hmm. You want the ring? You want the pocket translator? You want the five hundred dollars cash? You want the first class tickets? What more do you want, mm-hmm. Irene? I mean. Just, yeah. Everything. Irene wants it all. I hate Irene, and I I hate Ed, because he went along with it, okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, forget Ed and Irene. Bad look for them. No props to them. They're terrible people. Ed and Irene, also known as. I bet they're friends with Uncle Frank. They probably are. Guarantee they're friends with Mm -hmm. Uncle Frank. Ed and Irene, also known as the elderly bandits. So yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're, who got ripped off more? Okay, I, I would say she. Did. I think the McAllister still got robbed blind here, mm-hmm. even if their house did not get touched at all. That's true. Um, so that's my last one. Do you have anything else? That's it for me. Well, bless this highly nutritious microwavable macaroni cheese that we keep talking about, and the people who sold it to Kevin on sale, mm-hmm. and bless all the people who commented on our social media pages. This morning. Take it away, Kyle. All right. Uh, Laura Daniels Davis, back again. Uh, her new weekly uh, mention said, Home Alone is definitely in her top five. Uh, and her favorite quote, which we had actually quote, is her conversation between Buzz and Megan, where Megan says, You're not at all worried about something that might happen to Kevin? And Buzz says, No, for three reasons. A, I'm not that lucky. Two, we have smoke detectors. And D, we live in the most boring street in the whole United States of America where nothing even remotely dangerous ever happens. Um, let me see what else we the got. The ordering there, A, 2, and D, A, two is and what D. makes it hilarious. Uh, Jenny Varnum says, Yes, Home Alone is one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. 
along with White Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas, and the Polar Express. Uh, it says some of her favorite memories from Home Alone are where the neighbor man comes and saves Kevin. What was that man's name? Marley. Marley. Uh, and introducing it to her children. Says she even loves Home Alone 2 because it is in New York City and is one of her favorite places, and I've always wanted to go at Christmas. She's going to have to wait about a year for that one because we're definitely doing Home Alone 2 next year, assuming what the what's still going. I for think sure. it will go, um, but we'll save Home Alone 2 for next year. Uh, Whitney Anderson also says Home Alone is in her top three Christmas movies. So my mom always loved the part where Kevin asks, are you, are you guys you guys give up? Are you thirsty for more? Yep. And then Marv yells, Never! He says, I get tickled thinking about my mom laughing every time. I think Never's from the second movie, actually. Either way. But either way, it's still quotable and hilarious. It's, it's a very similar line where Kevin's yeah. asking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Erica, we watched it the other night, too, and Erica's the same way. That Every time that Never happens, Never! she quotes it, yells it, too, and just starts giggling. Uh, it's just an awesome thing. Uh, let's see who else we have. Uh, Joy Woods Wright said, Home Alone is one of my favorites. I uh, love the ing- ingenuity of the kid. Also wondered how they could afford the trip, the house, and yet could, couldn't keep up with the kid. Uh, said still even one of her top favorite Christmas movies. Her daughter, Casey Wright, is the one who has not seen this movie yet. She better have seen it by the time this podcast I told them that they needed to sit down as a family, get some hot chocolate, some cookies, and watch Home Alone together. Hot chocolate is good. They'd be better for, off for it. Uh, Michael Thompson says, Home Alone is indeed one of the goats of Christmas movies. Greatest of all time, for those you don't know. Yes. As it also contains one of the best movies in a movie, Angie, Angels with Filthy Souls. There it is, Angels with Filthy Souls. Uh, and Chris Rhodes says, Home Alone, the second installment is, in my opinion, far superior to the first. But for the unanswered questions, what kind of careers do the McAllisters have to own a house like that and send their entire family on a vacation? How do you lose your child twice in a back-to-back vacation? He should have had a leash. <laughs> he raises a good point. Um, I love how people are just so concerned about their money. <laughs> well, and <laughs> I'm I not have no answer I'm not, for that to be honest. I'm not saying anything. Like I thought about it too. Like what? Where they? Like what? Mm-hmm. Why am I thinking about what they do for a living? I'm not that nosy about their money. I mean, it is it is a legitimate question. Yeah. So I'm not picking at anybody who had that thought because I had it too. Uh, Joel Fitzgerald says, uh, "Home Alone isn't one of my favorites, but I loved it as a kid. I remember like liking. Wait, sorry, my stuttering self." Says, I remember liking having t- a kid to root for versus other movies you always had you adults. Have an adult he had a kid to root kid for. Kid to star this movie. He said, I also remember the need to make booby traps and remember needing a talk boy, which came from the second movie. Second movie. But yep. also, it was also, you know, something to look forward to. Casey Wright says, uh, Home Alone, never seen all of it. I know, I know, but I never just sat still long enough to watch it. Casey, that's unacceptable. Unacceptable. I hope at this point you have gone and watched it on the Disney Plus where you can see it. Commercial free, over and over for again. free. Uh, but yeah, that's all we have on the social media mentions this week. Well, thank you all again for commenting, and uh, make sure again we mentioned our social media at the top of the uh, podcast: uh, Facebook and Instagram, what what media, and WTW underscore media on Twitter. Kyle, yes, look what you did, you little jerk. That's See you next time, folks. <laughs> that's all we're going to do for this evening. We're so, um, so glad you came on this journey with us. Next week, we will be talking about our favorite Christmas TV episodes. Yep. Not specials. Just TV episodes. Just, you know, a series that aired a TV episode that was based on Christmas. Mm-hmm. So save your Rudolphs and your Charlie Browns and your Frosties and your Grinches for later. They'll have their own podcast. They'll have their own podcast a week later. Um, thank you again for joining us on the What the What podcast. Uh, stay as cool as the other side of the hill and... Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Bye!